0: Well, if you have a copy of the scriptures, I hope you do. It's perfectly fine to pull them up in an app on your device. We'll have them for you on the screen. At the same time, I know that my soul personally, I'm just challenged and encouraged. It just does something for me to have the word in my hand. So I'd always encourage that. But uh, if you have it, turn to Ephesians. We're going to look at chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, after I get a drink. There was a a moment. I don't know. I may may have shared before, but it's brief, so bear with me if so. But there was a moment in uh, the span of a couple of hard years for my family. Um, it's been a couple of years ago. There was a moment in there where uh, I, as the dad, was home a whole lot more than I used to be, and I was taking care of our youngest and uh, Freeman. At that point, two and a half, three years old, three and a half, and he um, and you know, I would hang out all day, every day, and I would get him his lunch and do everything for him. Uh, made my best attempts at potty training him. Uh, it happened, but it's by the grace of God. I'm did. i I'm sure it wasn't my efforts, okay? Um, I'm still working on it myself sometimes. But anyways, whatever. Right, that's a whole other conversation. Can't believe I just said that. Whoop, bring it back. All right, anyway. Um, but there was a moment that I'll never ever forget. It's one of my, my funniest moments from that time, and, and I'll never lose it. I pray by God's grace. I was in the kitchen, and I was making something for him, I guess, at the stove, for, for lunch, and he walked in, little fella standing there, and he said, You, you look kind of like a mommy. I guess he knew that his mommy was good to him, always made him food. So he said, You look kind of like a mommy. And I thought for a second, I said, Yeah, I guess I kind of look like a mommy. I'm making some food, right? And then he said this He said, You're my mommy. I said, No, I'm not. <laughs> that quick, right? Like, it's fine for you to say, I look like, but we gotta keep it straight. I'm dad. All right? I'm dad. I'm the man of the house. I'm your dad that's going to rough you up and, and probably injure you sometimes playing too hard. I'm the dad that you need to have a healthy, respectful fear of when you come home too late one day. I'm that guy. I'm that dude. So don't let the oven fool you. I am not mom. I'm dad. Right? And I share that story with you just to re-illustrate the point that I believe God is wanting to hammer home into our hearts As a church, as we're studying the book of Ephesians, this is already, I believe, our seventh week of studying the book of Ephesians. This is going by quick. I believe that God is wanting to drive home in us. It's obvious that God, through the inspiration of his word, through the apostle Paul, was wanting to drive home in the church at Ephesus, as we read this letter called Ephesians, that he was wanting to drive home in them, and I believe he's wanting to drive home in us. This principle we keep saying is this, is that your behavior flows from your identity. That, that what you do flows from knowing who you are. Your belief about who you are dictates what you do. Right? And it's why Paul over and over and over again is spending time in the first half of the book of Ephesians. take takes the whole first half of the letter just to zone in and hammer home again and again from this little different angle and that little different angle. He's saying over and over again, this is who God has made you to be. This is who he has remade you to be through the rescue of Jesus and the presence of his spirit in you, right? Because as we lose sight of who we truly are, we can expect that our character and our behavior will slip away. We should expect that to be true. We need the reminders. We need to know who we are. We need to know that I'm not mom, I'm dad, right? We need to know that I'm not sinner at the bottom of the list, begging God just to give me a morsel of bread from his table. But I am son brought to the table with a seat of honor. We need to know that I'm not the last thing on God's mind unless it's time to condemn and correct and instruct and discipline and get fired up and angry. And then I'm first on his mind. That's not who I am. We just sang it, I am chosen, I am precious in his holy sight. And when we believe that, we will live more in line with that. Right? But when we forget that, we'll, we'll fade and we'll drift. We may fade and drift into licentiousness, where we feel licensed to do anything and everything we want. Or we may fade and drift into frail, empty religion, where we try hard to do the right things, Right, That's why we tend to focus more on the behavior. We want to run straight to behavior and go, tell me what to do and what to not do. And I will work really hard on that, but it feels odd to us to press pause long enough to hear over and over again about who we are. We want to rush to behavior because somewhere that reveals our pride that we think, well, if you'll just tell me what to do and what to not do, I can do that. God goes, no, you can't. That's why you need my Savior Jesus, my son that I sent for you, that's why you need my spirit living in you. Now he can bring that about in and through you, but of your own you can't. We want to rush to behavior. God wants us to fixate on our identity first. That's why we're memorizing this verse together. If you don't have one of those little memory cards, I want to encourage you to get one. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, there are cards back on the back table. We're going to memorize maybe 8 to 10 verses through this year. What if you got to the end of 2023 and you could recite 8 to 10 verses from the Bible that you couldn't before? That sounds like a good year to me. All right? Sounds like something God could use in your life. We're reciting this verse. We're trying to memorize this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And going to say it for us right now on the spot is Mr. Matthew Pack. I'm just kidding. Okay, so uh, <laughs> we're going to say it together instead. All right? It goes like this. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. God is doing something different. God is doing something new in me than who I was before him. We've got to take grip of that. Last week, I was blessed to be on vacation last week. Actually, at this very moment, exactly a week ago, I was probably at the ER with my youngest son who, who had developed a couple of big knots on his head from uh, an incident with a luggage cart. But that's a whole other story. But, but, but I was blessed to get to go and hang out at the beach with my family and love them. And, and I think one of the biggest blessings of leadership is when you can step away from the arena of your leadership and see that things happen with ease and happen well. And, man, just to see that the church uh, had a great worship service last week, to see that Austin came and preached God's word faithfully um, and did super job with that. I'm so thankful for that and thankful that we have people who aren't just here to be sitters, but people who are here to be leaders, right? And so that's awesome and incredible. If you were here last week, you heard it. If not, I'd recommend you go check it out on our Facebook page. But here's what Austin pointed us to in Ephesians chapter 2 as we closed it out. Paul was saying to the Ephesians this big important idea. It's the idea of Christian unity. He said, you are made one, you Jews and you Gentiles. right. And Austin said it perfectly last week, anybody in the house Jewish, and if you don't raise your hand for that, you're a Gentile, all right? And so even all the differences going on in our lives, all the different hair colors, all the different backgrounds, all the different cultural things that play into our lives, if we're not Jewish, we're Gentile. And so the scripture said, listen, God took you who were Gentiles and you who were Jews, the chosen people of God, and he opened up the floodgates to let the Gentiles come in. And he said, in Christ, you're being built up to be this one person. Austin emphasized last week, I thought it was awesome, that, that God doesn't just say, hey, don't do, the, don't, don't do the, the division, right? Don't do that. He says he, he, he put to death hostility. <laughs> he went after it tenaciously and said no more of that. He, he crushed it and its power in Jesus. This unity is where we're going to pick right back up this week. Paul's not going to rush away from it and neither should we. So with that thought that we we'll be made into one in Christ, we start chapter 3, verse 1 says this. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Let's press pause, right? In the very first verse, Paul says, it's for this reason, for this thing that I've been talking about, it's for this unity that can happen between the Jews and the Gentiles. It's this reason that I am a prisoner of Jesus on behalf of you, the Gentiles. Paul, at this point, we believe has probably been in prison for longer than two years. Right. What were you doing two years ago? If your name was Paul today, it would have been being in prison. That long, every day, he wakes up void of freedom. And he says, listen, the reason that I submit myself to this life, the reason that I don't just recant Jesus and walk away from prison, the reason that I am a prisoner for the sake of Christ, the reason that I do all of this and I'm in the situation that I'm in is this unity. It's it's this, that Gentiles, that those who aren't the chosen people of God, the special people of God, that they would know that because Jesus has come and lived and died and risen again, now they are the special chosen people of God in a brand new, fresh, unique, powerful, overarching, overriding way. They are the special ones. They are brought in, right? Now, none of us got up and just, whoo, started screaming about that. And here's why I suspect that is, is because what is commonplace often becomes uninspiring. What we've heard a lot about and what we think about regularly or what's told to us regularly often fails to really energize us or move us. I don't, I don't try to show this off to a lot of people, but I was graced by God when I was in about sixth grade with a skill. I don't know if it's a gift of the spirit or just a gift, but um, I can juggle, okay? Right, I can juggle three things. I can make them move. I can juggle pins. Usually, it's been a while, but I bet I could pull it off. I can juggle stuff. I can juggle two things with one hand at the same time, just right here. I could probably juggle four things. I've never even thought about it. Two at once with the same hand. Right? I think it's pretty stinking cool. Okay. I don't know what you think about it. You may have bigger, better skills than that. That's fine. Right? But I'm just telling you, when I've been on baseball teams, and I've seen somebody there with the bucket of balls, and they start trying, and they can't. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can Right. I usually let them work on it a while. And then then hopefully I humbly come over and go, I think you got to start with two in one hand. I try to teach them. Right. That's what happens on a good day. On a bad day. I'm like, throw me through those balls. <laughs> right. That's what I do on a bad day. I just show off. Right. Right. I can juggle. But let me tell you who doesn't care about that at all. Who's not impressed by that in the least. My kids. Okay. Like today, if I just as like a, an illustration, which I'm not, if I were to pull out three and just start juggling right now, you would lose interest pretty quick. But for the first 10 seconds or so, you'd be like, He's I didn't know you could do that. That's cool. My kids would be struggling to stay awake. You know why? Because every time I get the chance, I'm like, hey, you know what dad can do? <laughs> right? Let me show you what I can do. Right? And they've seen it until it just no longer is a big deal. It's like, okay, you can do it. You've shown me how to do it. I don't know if I even care about knowing how to do it. Will you please stop doing it? Right? What's commonplace is often uninspiring, and you and I as Gentiles, most of us, if not all of us in this room, we've grown up hearing Jesus loves you. We've grown up hearing that you are special to God. We've grown up hearing that if you will put your faith in Jesus, God will consider you his child. He'll be your holy father. We've grown up hearing it, and so to some extent, oftentimes, because it's been commonplace, it's uninspiring but what if you'd been in a place where that weren't the case? I talk often because it has a special place in my heart of the villagers that I've gotten to go visit in Ecuador. On more than one occasion, I've been in these remote villages and I've sat there and thought on the day it's time to leave, I wish I could just bring this kid or that kid home with me. One guy, he was about this big last time I saw him. He's probably bigger than me now. His name's Milo, which is Ecuadorian for Milo, apparently. Right? I can speak it. No, you got it? Milo, man, he, he and I just clicked. We had fun together. I got to tell him about Jesus. Multiple times I've been there, I've been like, man, if I could just bring Milo home with me. He has such a hard home life and such a hard existence. Look, if you were to offer to one of those children in those villages and say, hey, listen, you can come and live with me in the United States. Can I tell you how quickly they would run to jump in the truck? They would tell mom and dad bye as they waved running to the truck because for some reason they think that we have it going on here. <laughs> They know about Facebook. They know about Monster Energy Drinks. It's like all the stuff they get from us. I'm not sure it's the best stuff, right? Like, hey, all the stuff y'all got is not the good stuff, you know? But they think it's awesome here. They would jump at the chance to come and live here and be part of this and be part of our lives and live here with us. Listen, if we had ever tasted for even a second what it's like to be outside of the covenant love of our God, we would realize how awesome it is, and our souls would spring up and leap to run to him. You get to have unity with God, but not just with God. You get to have unity with each other together in the church, Gentile and Jew. And unfortunate, what's true, though, is that oftentimes we separate that out and we go, hey, even though we're all Gentiles, I've got smaller reasons than that to to divide from you. And see, what I want you to see just from verse 1 even is that Paul doesn't see it that way. He doesn't see unity in Christ just as an ideal scenario, just as a, I hope it happens, just as a, hey, it'll be really great if that happens. He doesn't see it as an ideal scenario. He sees it as something worth pursuing, worth sacrificing for. He says, hey, I'm in prison, and it's for this. I'll just posit it to you, and you don't have to answer out loud, or you can, and we'll have fun either way, but... Most churches, right? Let's let's just go 100 mile radius of here. Most churches that you're aware of, are, are most of the people there more different or more the same? Now there's there's some variation, of course, and thank God for that. But in most churches, there are more people there kind of the same? It's why in church circles, when you get in church leadership or at a pastor's conference, pastors talk like this and they say, well, that you know, it's a church where right, where hipsters feel really comfortable. That that's kind of the hipster church. Or that's kind of the old style church. Or that's kind of the this church or the that church. Because there's a commonality from everybody that's so strong that it drives, this is who that church is. And Paul says, listen, who this church is, is founded and built on and in Jesus Christ. That's who this church is. And he offers himself freely to everyone, regardless of differences. Are we a church who doesn't just view that as an ideal that maybe one day some people will stumble in who aren't like us? Or do we have people who view it as a reality we're sacrificing for? Sacrificing our comfort. If you're like me, you're not particularly extroverted. It's hard sometimes to go and speak to folks. But we say on our screens and we say on our coffee cups... We are so glad you are here. When somebody comes in these doors, when someone encounters Dublin Bible Church, followers of Jesus out in Dublin, is it evident? Hey, we are so glad to know you. We are so glad that you are here. Are we worth sacrificing our comfort for? Is it worth sacrificing some of our time for? Paul says, listen, this unity, it matters. It's for this reason that I'm a prisoner. He's going to unpack a little bit of this ministry that has placed him in prison. Verse 2, we'll start back. It says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul not being arrogant there in verse 2, it would have been a well-known fact at this point. He's going, I'm assuming you probably have heard of me before. He's not being arrogant. He's knowing that they probably heard of him because the Jews hated him because he used to be one of the best Jews trying his hardest and he had left that behind and so they weren't a big fan. The Christians feared him. Right? Because he was going around persecuting them, chasing them down. So they didn't trust him. He goes, everybody kind of knows this story. He says, I'm assuming that you've heard about this, verse 3. Here it is, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. See this? He says, Listen, I have this ministry. I have this role that I've been given by Jesus, and it's to go and proclaim to people what used to be a mystery. It's not a mystery anymore. Because, listen, even though if you look back now that you've seen Jesus, and you look back to the Old Testament, and you look back to the Judaic faith, you can see how all of that points directly to Jesus. You can see that now because you've seen Jesus and you've heard the gospel. But he said, For hundreds and hundreds of years, it was a mystery. And he said, I get to go and tell people about that. This mystery that two who are so different would be brought together. And how closely are they brought together? Make sure you saw this in verse 6. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of what? The same body. They're not members of the same lunchroom table in high school and as long as you sit on your end and I sit on my end, we don't really have to talk. I guess it's okay that we're at the same table. Right? You're not dragging my status down too far. They're not members of the same country club, but they really don't like each other that much. They're not members of the same church who would say, yeah, I've got every good intention for you, but I don't really put any energy into getting to know you. They're not just two people who are willing to accept some association. He goes, you are the very same body. <laughs> where I see one of you, I expect to see you both. It's kind of like that trend that went through. Maybe it's late 90s, early 2000s, where every celebrity couple had to have a nickname that was both of their names mashed together. You, you remember what I'm talking about, right? Ben and Jennifer was Jennifer, right? I think somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, Right. So for instance, Shane and Ashley would be Shashley. I like it already. Let's do it. Right? Right? They, they, they use this one name because they go, you're so closely tied together. You're so closely united that when I think of one, I think of the other. And listen, the reality is this, and somebody may be sitting there right now going, that sounds great, preacher, but what about, what about the fact that real life says we don't have like infinite energy and time to get to know every single person with great detail? you're right. You don't. I don't. But you know what we do have? We all do have the opportunity to get to know some with great detail and great intimacy. And we all have the opportunity to spread the net of that same acceptance and invite. And we are so glad you're here. We can spread that to everybody. Now we can take it deeper with some, but we can spread it to everybody. He says, listen, this is the mystery that I've written briefly about. It's the mystery that you've probably heard about. This is what I have been commissioned for is to tell people this, that, listen, Christ has torn down the wall of hostility, putting it to death, and now people can be together even in their differences. When I was a youth pastor, I had no clue what I was doing. It's my first ever vocational role in ministry I'll never forget being so pumped about it. And I had always thought I had all these great ministry ideas. I'll never, ever forget my first day in the office. The pastor's like, all right, here's your office. You know, we'll, we'll hang out at lunchtime, whatever. It's like eight in the morning. I sit down at my desk to start my first day as a youth pastor. He goes up to his office until lunchtime. And I sat there like, I have no idea what to do now, right? Like no clue what to do now. And through that ignorance, through maybe that humility, to just go, God, I don't know, right? God did amazing things. I saw students that never would have ever spent time together. Students who were in different social strata and classes. I saw football players and cheerleaders hanging out with band and, and math team. And I saw, I saw them and we, we embraced mantras like embrace the weirdness. I'll like, tell them often, listen, we're all weird. Embrace the weirdness. We embrace mantras like love them past the door. Like don't just stand at the door and tell somebody, hi, how are you? Get in their life, get to know them, love them. And I saw students push past what I know must have been fear internally to break the social norms and love each other. And it was amazing what God did is over a short time, we saw scores, literally just numbers of numbers of teenagers give their life to Jesus. And we saw this very just diverse group and eclectic group of people figure out what it looks like to love Jesus together. it's out there Dublin Bible Church this beauty of unity in Christ is out there and it starts in here and then we take it out there the same body Is there coolness or coldness that exists in your heart towards someone else because their political views are different or because their scriptural interpretation about secondary theological matters is different or because they like the music different than you like it or because fill in the blank, whatever. If it's not the gospel, it's not worth contention that divides, right? Man, it better be the gospel or something really closely tied for it, to it before we see followers of Jesus going, I don't know if I can do that with you. I don't know if I can be there with you. Right? And here's what we do a lot of, if we're honest, is externally we're like, everything's fine, everything's good, and we're just going to give a hi and a hey and everything. But we got years' worth of stuff sometimes hidden down under the core where we go, well, I'll say hi and I'll be nice and be polite, but I'm not going to really get to know them, know them, because I know what they did. Or they said that thing that really, really hurt me, really ticked me off. Or they didn't consider me and think about me when they fill in the blank. Externally, it looks like an attempt at unity. And internally, it can be divided. Thank God I don't believe that that's a a strong major emphasis in the heart of Dublin Bible Church. But we should be careful lest it grow. Division grows quickly. Unity takes work. He says, this is why I'm imprisoned. I labor for this, that you would know that you're one body. He goes on in verse seven of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Do you hear this? Just in these few verses, let's just take a break right there. Do you hear what Paul just called himself? check that out. The apostle Paul that wrote two thirds of the New Testament, maybe the most famous Christian in the history of mankind other than Christ himself. You hear what he called himself? He said, I'm the least. I'm the least of them, right? I'm the least. This is not Paul living in some kind of doom and defeatist desperation, despair. That's not where Paul's at. Paul is just saying with a healthy gander at his own life in light of the holiness of God, he goes, man, I'm I'm a saint, praise God. There's a whole lot of special honor involved in that. I'm one of those, but man, I'm the least of those. I don't feel the need to to kind of toot my own horn and, and share myself and make much of me. I say, if you look at me and you see good, it's Jesus, right? He says, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the saints. This is why He said, this is why I'm used by God. Listen, why would you not be used by God to help other people experience unity in his name? What are the reasons? Because you don't really speak well, you're not good with words like Moses? Because, well, you don't know the thing that I thought yesterday or you don't know the sin that I sinned last week or you don't know my backstory from this moment in my life and that phase in my life. Listen, the Apostle Paul It's going, I was one of the highest ranking dudes in all the land in Judaism. And I write all of that off. None of that matters. I belong to Christ. I'm the least of the saints and that's why he elevates me to shout his message so that people see it's not me, it's him. Whatever it is that would bind you down, let in the power of God yourself be raised up to shout from the rooftops that it's not you anyway, it's him. And see what he might do. People don't need to hear about a God for the desperate and the broken from people who have no desperation or no brokenness. Somebody who sits in an ivory tower and yells down to people, there's a God for people like you. People don't trust that message. They don't receive that message. That's not God's plan for the gospel. God's plan for the gospel is a humble group of people who have found grace from a God that they don't deserve it from. And they are going, hey, look at my life just long enough to see Jesus. Are we those kind of people? He said it there at the end of verse 6. He said it again in verse 7. It's this gospel that is central, the gospel. The gospel, the fact that a holy God has rescued sinful people through the sacrifice of his solely sufficient son. I'm usually not aware of it, but I am just now. I just talked super fast. Let's try that again, okay? The gospel is that a holy God that we could never approach in his holiness and our sinfulness, were separated. A holy God rescued sinful people, me, through the sacrifice of his solely sufficient son. Nobody else is going to get it done. Not you, not me. He's sufficient. He doesn't need any help. Your best day doesn't add anything to his salvation of you. This is the gospel. And listen, I just want to make sure we say this. We say it a lot, and we're going to keep saying it a lot around here. By God's grace, Lord willing. The gospel is not just the front door to come into a relationship with God whereby then you wander off into a thousand different areas. We don't just need the gospel for conversion. We need the gospel for sanctification. We need the gospel for every day. I need to remember that I have the ill-deserved grace that is the Father's and he's given it to me. I need to know that when I'm riding down the road and I have a moment of reaction I didn't need to have. Happened yesterday. I'm not proud of it, by the way. I'm just telling you that it's true. I pulled, pulled out in front of a car, not super close. I didn't think it was that close. I realized just after I pulled in my rear view, I'm like, they're going faster than I thought they were going, which also I think is about double the speed limit, right? They didn't like it that much. They went up around me, and they just honked their horn, just me. And just in my flesh instinct, I went, me, just honked right back at them, Just let them know. Heard you, brother. You know what I'm saying? And I thought I was cute. I thought I was so funny, right? I was like, ha, ha, ha. Then my 11-year-old son next to me starts cackling. He's like, Coughs. He's laughing like it's funny, and then I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> that's exactly what I don't want to teach him to be. I, I don't want to teach him to be that because I don't want somebody who's just raging out on whatever emotion to, to pull over and ram into him with their car or road rage stuff. But, but even bigger than that, that's not how I want him to be because that's not who Jesus is. <laughs> so we spent the, the next couple of minutes <laughs> riding down the road with me going, hey, man, you just saw Dad do it wrong. You saw dad do it wrong. And dad does it wrong a lot. That's why we need Jesus, right? That's why we strive to be like him, right? Listen, we need the gospel in our everyday. Because without the gospel, I either think I'm the coolest guy that ever lived because I honk the horn back at that guy. And I honk and I'm just in his rear view like, what now? Like, that's what I think without the gospel. Or I honk and I realize I've had this moment of pride and of, of stupid, divisive anger. And then I just live in despair for the next few weeks and go, like, well, I thought I knew Jesus really. I thought I had grown up over how many ever years of knowing Jesus, but still see that foolishness coming out. I need the gospel to tell me, guess what? You are still broken, and guess what? You're still perfectly loved and accepted, and God is transforming you. <laughs> he may not have transformed that moment out, but he will. Right? We need the gospel every day. It's got to be central. Paul says it's this gospel. He goes on to say this last few verses, verse 10, but it's important, so stick with it, okay? says, so, so that this ministry of preaching this message is so that, verse 10, so that through the church, man, as a pastor, I just want to like, ah, just blare that. I want you to hear that with your heart and your soul. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You understand what verse 10 just said? I don't even plan on stopping right here, but I just got to make sure you see this so that through the church, so that God would do things through our lives, regular, everyday people like me and you who love Jesus. So that through us, it would be communicated the message of his grace in such a way that the principalities and powers in in heavenly realms would stop and pay attention. That that angels and, and, and the hosts of heaven would be stopping and going, man, they're making much of Jesus down. And that the principalities of darkness would, would be going, well, I don't know if I want to mess with them as much. It's making much of Jesus. he says, through the church this would happen, verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Don't leave this part out, verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Through the church. When you think about the church, right? If I just take those two words and I submit them to your mind, I I put them on the front screen in your mind, the church. Who do you think about? Does the immediate snap picture in your mind include yourself? Or do you think I'm part of the church? I'm part of a church. The church is doing this and I'm going to participate. No, you're the church. We're the church. (laughs) Whatever God says in Scripture about the church, guess who it's talking about? It's either going to happen or not happen. It's either going to rely in or not rely on. It's it's us. (laughs) And God is really clear in his word that he wants to do amazing things through us. Those amazing things may look like powerful moments of prayer where people are forever delivered from addiction. Do it, Lord Jesus. Bring it. Those moments may look like everyday life where we sacrifice our time and our selfish stuff and we sit it to the side to give a moment to a brother or sister and we serve them in a way that's maybe not our favorite. We serve them in a way that's not easy and maybe it doesn't seem to make any impact, but maybe 36 years down the road, they're sitting there thinking, you know what? I remember that time. The church, us, you. God wants to use your Do amazing things. So therefore, last verse, don't lose heart. He's telling them, don't lose heart when you see me, a leader in your church life, suffering. Don't don't lose heart. But I would say to you, period, the scripture says over and over again, don't lose heart. Verse in Hebrews says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you might not grow weary and lose heart. What is the remedy for losing heart, for getting beaten down in your faith, is considering Jesus. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you may not grow weary and lose heart. What do I do? I'm losing heart. I'm not loving Jesus as much. Let me read 79 books about how the seven steps I can take to get my spiritual life back, realigned. Listen, those books may be great. They may be helpful. I read some of them. I love it. That's great, okay? But check this out. They only help you in as much as they help you consider Christ. You want to not lose heart? Consider Jesus. Riding down the road feeling defeated about life? Consider him. Consider how he feels about you. Consider how he's promised you that he'll care for you. (laughs) Don't have the courage to step out in your life and minister in somebody else's life? Consider him and how he stepped out. Consider the promises that he's made to lead and guide you by the presence of his spirit, that he would whisper in your ear to go to the right or to the left, that you would shout from the rooftops what he's whispered to you in the secret. That's the kind of personal leadership relationship Jesus wants to have with you through his spirit. Consider Jesus and don't lose heart as we seek to be a people who strive to be used by God to grow into an ever-increasing community of unity in Jesus. I love you, church. I've seen multiple times in a year of being here. It's a year, like today or sometime soon that we moved here. went by so fast. There's been multiple times in a year of being here where I see you being willing to to get uncomfortable and try to love people unlike yourself. Let's keep going. Let's do more. Let's see what God does with people who will embrace embrace the awkwardness to spread his name. How do you need to respond to God's word today? Is there a coolness in your heart towards somebody, maybe even in this room? Maybe a faithful part of this local church. Maybe it's coolness towards a believer that's that's not even living in Dublin. Maybe it's coolness towards somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and your humble repentance might be the thing that would show them they need a Jesus like you need. How might God prompt us to spread the message of gospel unity? Will you follow where he leads? If you're here today you don't know Jesus, come find me when we're done. I'm not going to tell you everything gets better and easier. It gets harder, but it will get better. Your worst day with Jesus is way better than your best day without him. And I'd love to just tell you about how he loves you. Come find me when we're done. Find a friend. Check on that card in front of you. You'd like to speak with a pastor, and we'll get with you, Lord willing, this week followers of Jesus, what do we do with the gospel message of unity? Let's pray. God, let us view the unity that you value so highly. Let us view it as worthy of our sacrifice, the sacrifice of our opinions, the sacrifice of our freedoms from doing, the sacrifice of our freedoms to do. God, let us move past our discomfort. Let us step into it to love others the way that you love us. God, if I'm honest, I feel just just inept and discombobulated a little bit this morning with your word, but God, I'm reminded that my hope is not in myself, but it's in you. And so, God, I'm asking you to be at work in Dublin, Georgia. I'm asking you to be at work in our hearts and souls right now in this moment. I'm asking you to be clear to us, God, that you would convict us lovingly the way that you do and lead us to walk in repentance, that you would show us the opportunities before us this week to be a people who spread the message of gospel unity. God, not for our namesake, not for the recognition of any person or any church name, but for the name of Jesus, would you use us? Would you help us to not get lost in the familiar message of your acceptance? Let us not get lost in how familiar it is. Let us get lost in how splendid it is. Move us, God, show us. How can we be used by you? Let your word stick with us. Remind us who you've made us. And let that guide us. To live as those people. We love you and we praise you. We ask this in your name Jesus. Amen.